0: Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. We've been talking about simple things. I think it's simple when it's not composed of many complex parts. A simple machine like a lever or an inclined plane has very few parts to it. An idea is simple when it's not embellished by a lot of adjectives and Uh, adverbs, but is just a straightforward, clearly stated idea. Our Our promises are simple when they are a simple yes or no, and we don't have to swear on a stack of Bibles, but our life of integrity backs up our yes and our no. Things are simple when they're like that. A simple melody might be played with one finger on the keyboard. It doesn't have a lot of complexity to it. We, human beings, have this way of taking things that are simple and making them very, very complex, complicated, difficult to understand, difficult to implement. When Jesus came to teach us about this life in the kingdom of God, this with God kind of life that he offers, abundant life, he spoke of it as a simple kind of life. It is a life of the pure in heart, people who will, One thing. They give their lives to God and to God's purposes. It's a life of simple obedience, a yes to God and a no to the world as Jesus lived. Jesus taught a life of simple faith where we learn to simply trust God, trust God's presence, trust God's power, trust God's promises in our life and live in light of that. Simple living is a life that is lived out of simple loyalty, loyalty to God above everything else that transcends loyalty, that complicate things, loyalty to country or political parties or races or cultures. Simple loyalty is simply given to God. A life Jesus demonstrated is a life of simple hope. Well, we have confidence that this life is not all that there is, that there is life beyond the grave, and that death does not have the last word. It is the promise of eternal life. And that life is lived with the simple love that's expressed in those two simple commandments. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. None of that is difficult to understand, is it? Trust God, obey God, give your ultimate allegiance to God, place your hope in God love others, love God with all your heart, everything else is clutter. Everything else is clutter. Life is meant to be lived simply out of this kind of relationship with God and his kingdom. And at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is this simple thing called obedience. Obedience. We we try to complicate what Jesus called us to by turning it into religion with a variety of rituals and complex doctrines and all kinds of practices, as if that's what Christianity is ultimately about. But when you start reading the Gospels, you find Jesus didn't talk about getting our doctrines right. He talked a lot about truth. He talked about truth-telling, he talked about living out of the truth, about having our lives correspond with the way God wants life to be lived. He called himself the truth, the way, and the life. He said God's word is truth. John said he was full of grace and truth. The kind of truth he called us to is this true way of living about how life is to be lived with God and with one another in the kingdom. He spoke not at all of getting rituals right. Uh, He did talk to us about practices. He spoke to us about prayer and about fasting and about giving, about serving, about worship. He talked to us about those practices in which we learn to give our attention to God, but he didn't talk to us about getting our rituals right. Not at all. He didn't offer a religion. Jesus offered a way of life, a way that life is to be lived and taught. It's about trusting and obeying and loving God and treating neighbors right. It's about actually living with justice, uh, loving mercy, walking humbly with our God. And since Jesus is, we confess, our master and our teacher, it follows that whatever he said about those things must be obeyed. It's simple. We are called to obey the one who is teaching us about how life is to be lived. We don't take his words as advice to be weighed in with other things. If the teacher said it, if the master said it, and we are his followers, then we are called simply to obey it, to learn to follow what he said. That's a common theme in Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament. But in the Gospel of Matthew, it is a continuing theme. You find it in the Sermon on the Mount several times. In Matthew seven twenty one, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father in heaven, the one who obeys the will of my Father in heaven, experiences the kingdom of God. Matthew seven twenty four, Everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. Verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Obedience, Jesus said, you hear my words and you do them. You do the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Obedience in living is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, there's that passage we know as the Great Commission Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Dallas Willard calls that last phrase in the Great Commission the great omission. It is the issue of teaching obedience. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you is inherent to the work of evangelism and discipleship. Jesus' disciples are to obey him, to learn to obey him. It's not about obeying a set of rules. He doesn't give us a big, thick book of rules and say, follow these rules. Instead, he offers himself as a person who loves us, who knows how life is to be lived, who's wiser than we can possibly imagine, and who promises to give us the power to live this way. And he says, follow me, obey me, live life as I teach you to do it. It's a simple thing, really, not burdensome. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When Jesus approached the end of his time with his disciples, that last week he had with them, he continued to teach about the importance of obedience for life in the kingdom of God, that this art of living in the kingdom of God requires obedience to God. And he told a simple parable, both to his disciples and to some of his opponents who were testing him, about a life of simple obedience to God. It's in Matthew 21, 28 to 32. Jesus said this, what do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John the Baptist came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe them. Jesus laid it out pretty simply, didn't he? The father says to his two sons, go work in the vineyard. One says, not me, dad. But after a while, he got to thinking about it and said, I need to do what my father wants. And he went and worked in the vineyard. The first one said, you got it. And then he said, I got other things to do. And off he wandered to do something other. Which one did the will of the father, Jesus asked. And they said, well, obviously the first. Jesus said, you religious people haven't repented and obeyed what John the Baptist came preaching nor what I've preached, but some tax collectors and sinners have, and they're turning to God. They're doing the work like this first son did. We talk about obedience, and we dress up things to look like obedience. We usually couch that in terms of what we believe. The latest surveys, though it's going down year after year, just about half of Americans believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Now, wouldn't you think our culture would look a lot better if half of us were seeking to be obedient to what we believe to be God's truth and God's word? Now, we can confess it. We dress it up. But Jesus said it's about living it. We allow ourselves to accept the definition of Christianity that's reduced to forms and doctrines, rituals, church attendance, intellectual adherence to certain teachings, right use of theological language. And if we get those things right, check those boxes, we got it. And Jesus said, no, it's, a, it's really what you do that matters. It's how you live this life. It's whether we do what God asks us to do, whether we respond to the promptings of God, whether we do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. No amount of doctrinal purity makes up for that, Jesus said. No amount of ritual, ritual preciseness is going to fix it. It's the life we live with each other and our world and with God. So it seems to me the issue of obedience is pretty simple, really. It's simply, obedience is what happens when we really do God's will and not just talk about it. You probably were affected in 2005 by Hurricane Katrina because of the huge numbers of dispersed refugees. So many came to San Antonio. A lot came to Houston where we lived there. There was a story in the news at that time about a particular family, Christopher and Monica Shepherd. They were about 35 years old and they had a little boy named Jackson. Uh, They were in New Orleans when the storm hit. They had a car, but they didn't leave because they had no really no place to go, and they thought they could ride it out. But they showed up at the Houston Astrodome. They were wearing pajamas that they'd been wearing for four days. They had caked mud on their feet. They had little Jackson had a fever, and they were carrying him around, and they were in the Astrodome thrown in with all these others after having been through just awful things for the last several days, and they wondered what was next for them. Meanwhile, there was a newlywed couple, married only nine days, Shane and Shelly. They lived in Pasadena, Texas, and Shane was 35 years old. Uh, He had fought in the first Gulf War, and when he came back from the war, he found Christ or Christ found him, and his heart was really, really changed. He had been following Christ for about 10 years at the time. And he was watching the news and seeing all these people coming and all these needs. And he turned to his new wife and he says, there's babies there. We have an extra bedroom. I think God wants us to do something. And she said, I agree. I think God wants us to do something. So they went down to the Astrodome and they walked into this mass of people. And they talked to a couple of families they met, offered them a place to stay. But they said they had somebody coming to pick them up. And then they came... To the to Christopher and Monica and said, Would you guys like a safe place to stay? And they took them home and brought them to this place of refuge for a time. Shane and, and Shelley Cole just believed they were doing what God was leading them to do. She said, We were obedient. That's all he required of us. God will put the puzzle together. We were the link because God works through people. He wants willing vessels. Obedience, it turns out, is what happens when we really do God's will and not just talk about it. It's, it's just that simple. Obedience is what happens when, the father, when what the Father wants matters more than our own plans, our own agendas, our own possessions, our own schedules. We put the Father ahead of all that. Karen Watson 38-year-old woman in California determined that what the father wanted mattered more than her own plans and possessions and agenda, and at age 38, she counted the cost and followed God with all her heart and went to the war zone in Iraq as a humanitarian worker uh, because she believed Christ loved those people and because she believed Christ was calling her to that place. She had lived in Bakersfield, California. She worked in a uh, penitentiary as a guard, and she was a member of the Valley Baptist Church. She had accepted Christ when she was, in 1996, uh, when she had just been through two years of of awful things in her life. She lost her fiance, she lost her father, she lost her grandmother within a two-year period. After that, in her grief, she heard the gospel and gave her life to Jesus Christ. And he began to change her pretty radically. It shook the foundation of her life. She took place in several short-term mission trips, a couple times to El Salvador, uh, once to Kosovo and Macedonia and Greece. And in those short-term mission trips, what God did with her life was to help her see that there was a world around her with so many needs and to call her to offer Christ to them. She resigned from her job, had the Kern County Sheriff's Department. She sold her house and her car, and she took her gifts and her leadership abilities and her administrative skills, and she went to Jordan to work with a humanitarian Uh, agency, hoping to set up a base for Iraqi refugees. Well, the war in the first Gulf War was so short, the refugees didn't flood in, so she went in 2005 into Iraq, into the war zone with other missionaries. And on March 15th, she was investigating some sites uh, around Mosul, and her vehicle was struck with a a rocket-powered grenade, and she and three other of the missionaries were killed, Larry and Jean Elliott were killed. They were from Cary, North Carolina. David McDonald from Rowlett, Texas. His wife, Carrie, was in critical condition. They were newlyweds in their 20s, and Karen lost her life. When word got back to the church in California that Karen had died, her pastors had a letter sealed in an envelope that she had given them, and she said, Don't open this unless you get word that I'm, I've died. And so they opened the letter and they read it. This is the letter. Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible, my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place, I was called to Him. To obey was my objective, to suffer was expected. My glory, His glory, my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is to preserve the work I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group. I thank you so much for your prayers and support. Surely your reward in heaven will be great. Thank you for investing in my life and spiritual well-being. Keep sending missionaries. Keep raising up fine young pastors. In regard to my memorial service, service, keep it short and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. Give glory and honor to God our Father. She included this little piece that she had learned, The Missionary's Heart. Care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. Expect more than some think is possible. And then she said, I was called not to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family in his care. Salam, Karen. At the memorial service, one of her friends said, don't make Karen into a saint. She would hate that. She was pretty wild when she was young, but when she became a Christian, she turned around 180 degrees. Obedience, she said, was what drove her life and what uh, made it her willing to offer her life. Obedience is what happens when the fa- what the Father wants matters more than our own plans and possessions and agendas. It's just that simple. There's another word about obedience in that parable, and it's good news. No no matter what we have done or have not done up till now, we can choose obedience today, right? In the story, Jesus made it clear that obedience is a choice. Which, Which of the two did the will of his father, he asked. They said, the first. Jesus said, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your mind and believe him. Jesus said the door for obedience is always open. Tax collectors, you know, tax collectors back then weren't the beloved people they are now. (laughs) Tax collectors and prostitutes were turning their lives around at the preaching of the good news and coming into the kingdom. They had said... Father had said, go work in my vineyard, and they'd said no, but now they said they changed their mind, they repented, and they were coming in. What that offers in the parable is this piece of good news, that it's always possible to move toward obedience, to stop disobeying and obey, to turn our lives around. It's always possible. That's the good news. Nearly 200 years ago, there was a Scottish pair of brothers, John and David Livingstone, John set his mind on becoming wealthy, and he did it. He became a rich and famous lawyer in England. But on his tombstone, there is this epitaph, which he selected. Here lies the brother of David Livingstone. David Livingstone devoted himself to another kingdom. He surrendered himself to Christ. He wrote once, I will place no value on anything unless it is in its relationship to the kingdom of God. He became a physician and went to Africa and served as a missionary for many years. He had an opportunity after long years on the field to return to England and return to the praise and accolades that would have been his, but instead he chose to remain in Africa, to remain in poverty, and ultimately he died of a tropical disease. A short time before he died, David Livingstone wrote, My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to thee. David is buried in Westminster Abbey. His epitaph reads, For 30 years, his life was spent in an unwearied effort to evangelize. No matter what we have done or haven't done up till now, we can choose obedience today. It's just that simple. It's a simple matter to keep life aligned with God, really. We understand Christianity is a life, not talk or ritual. We determine that doing His will, what God wants is all that matters in our call. It matters in terms of our personal morality, our work for justice, our care for the poor, the least, the last, the lost. It's centering life on God's kingdom. And when we've strayed from that path, we just take the route of the first son, and we turn around and return. We repent. We change our minds. We obey. It's just that simple. Amen. This morning, we come to the Lord's table, and there is so much about obedience lying here before us, symbolized of Jesus, who in obedience to his Father offered his life to death, even death on the cross, out of obedience to the Father, who called us to take up our crosses and follow him and to be willing to lay our lives down for him. He commanded us, Uh, to gather and to take the cup and the bread and to remember his death. So even in partaking of the supper, we're performing an act of obedience as well as an act of love and a reminder of what God has called us to. This morning, as we take the cup and the bread, I want to urge you to be reminded of your willingness and uh, your willingness to be obedient to God no matter what in every dimension of life that's what he has called all of us to and it's it's pretty simple that night in the upper room Jesus took two simple elements he took bread and the scripture says that after supper was over he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said take and eat this, this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me You could, if you would now, take your your cup with the elements there and you can peel back and remove that wafer and let us remember Jesus' instructions to us that night. Do this, he said, in remembrance of me. scripture says that after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This is my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as you drink this cup, you recall what I've done for you and you anticipate the time that you will share this cup for me, with me in eternity in the kingdom of God. And now let us do as he instructed us and receive the cup. we pray. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, who brings forth bread from the earth and who brings forth fruit from the vine, you have come to us in the person of your son. You've revealed your truth to us. You've showed us how to live. You've invited us into your kingdom, and you've been fair to share with us that walking into that kingdom in this world means picking up a cross and being willing to live in obedience and to lay our lives down to you. Lord, by our simple participation this morning in these elements, we want to say to you that we are willing to do that, Lord. We want to obey. We want to follow. We want to be your people. We offer ourselves to you in gratitude for the way you've offered yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.